The End of the Age, The Translation of the Saints to Heaven. Hebrews 2 verse 5, Philippians 3 colon 20-21, 1 Corinthians 15 verses 47-57, 1 Thessalonians 4 verses 13-18. I have read several passages to bring fully before us what Scripture teaches on this subject, so that all may rest on the Word of God and not on human opinion. In the three personages who are selected as witnesses to faith before the flood, we have a little picture of what would come to pass in a future day. Abel finds acceptance with God by sacrifice and obtains testimony that he is righteous. Enoch walked with God three hundred years, in the midst of abounding iniquity ripening for judgment. He prophesied of the coming judgment, but was taken to heaven without dying before the flood came. Noah finds favor with God, and he and his family pass through the flood and are brought out into the cleansed earth. In the present day believers have found acceptance with God by the sacrifice of Christ, like Abel. Not only are all our sins put away to be remembered no more, but we have been brought into a place of positive blessing and favor. We are all the children of God by faith in Christ Jesus, and we have an entirely new place before God in righteousness in a risen Christ. If we look at the church as a body composed of all true believers, her destiny is heaven. Like Enoch she walks with God and pleases God. She sees iniquity abounding, everything corrupted in professing Christendom and in the world, and ripening for judgment. But she knows she will be taken to the place to which she belongs, that is heaven, before the judgment comes, Revelation 3 verse 10. When the church has been taken to heaven, then the godly remnant of the Jews, the earthly family, will be preserved like Noah through the period of the great tribulation which is coming on all the world, Daniel 12 verse 1, Matthew 24 verses 21 to 22, Revelation 12 verses 13 to 17. What is said of Enoch in the Old Testament is that he walked with God, and was not, for God took him, Genesis 5 verse 24. In the passage I read prominence is given to his faith, by faith he was translated that he should not see death, and was not found, because God had translated him, for before his translation he had this testimony, that he pleased God. He went to the place which suited him. His life was a testimony in separation from evil to the character of God, and God took him. His faith is connected with his translation, for he lived as one that did not belong to this world, but to another scene suited to God. And ought not all this to characterize those who are awaiting their translation to heaven at any moment? The Christian has, properly speaking, only one business here, to walk with God, to please God, to obey Him, and glorify Him in His body which belongs to God. In Philippians 3.20, the Apostle states our citizenship is in heaven. The Christian is not of the world. He has died out of the world with Christ, and is dead to the world. His life is hid with Christ in God. He is to be subject, as one who is in the world, to the powers that be, which are ordained of God, but he belongs to another scene where Christ is. His home is above, and he is a pilgrim below. The church is associated with Christ in heaven during the time of his rejection by the world, and, though still in bodies of humiliation, we are looking for the Savior from heaven to change our bodies of humiliation, that they may be fashioned like his body of glory. The blessed Lord is a real man in glory. When he rose from the dead, he said to his disciples, Handle me and see, for a spirit has not flesh and bones as you see me have, and he ate and drank with them. But it is also important to remember that we do not know him after the flesh, but in a spiritual state and in a glorified body, head of the new creation.
Nevertheless, it is not another Jesus, nor has he taken another body, for he showed to the disciples his hands and his side, and said to Thomas, Reach hither thy finger and behold my hands, and reach hither thy hand and thrust it into my side, and be not faithless but believing. Well, are we all looking for the Savior? He has quickened our souls by his power, but he is also going to quicken and change our mortal bodies by his power. The Christian is made partaker of the divine nature, a mighty work of God has taken place in him already. He is born of God, and there is a new spiritual being, a new creation. The Spirit of God is descriptive of his spiritual state, for he is not in the flesh but in the Spirit, if the Spirit of God dwells in him. In Romans 8 verse 11, it is said that God shall quicken our mortal bodies by his Spirit that dwells in us. Now let us turn to 1 Corinthians 15 verse 47, where we get the contrast between the first man and the second man. The first man, Adam, became a living soul, the last Adam, a quickening spirit. To quicken means to make alive out of death. In John 20 verse 22, we see Christ as the last Adam in resurrection, breathing on his disciples, imparting to them in the power of the Spirit the life in himself in which he lived to die no more. Now we get, not only that he is a quickening spirit, but that, in contrast to the first man who was out of the earth and made of dust, he was out of heaven. Though truly born on earth of the Virgin by the power of the Holy Ghost, he, in his own person, had no beginning, and was out of heaven. His origin was out of heaven, and, though on earth in human relationship to his mother and of David's seed according to the flesh, he was the heavenly one, in contrast to the man out of earth, who was earthy made of dust. We go further and find, such as he, made of dust, such also those made of dust, and such as the heavenly one, such also the heavenly ones. That is there are two classes, the one associated with the earthy and the other with the heavenly. To which class do you belong? If truly a believer, born of God and having his spirit, you have a new origin, and Christ's death has severed you from the earthy race. You have still the body of flesh and blood, and flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, but the Christian's destiny is heaven, and his origin is of heaven, because he derives from the one out of heaven, and as is the heavenly, such are the heavenly. Heavenly is characteristic of the head and of the race. It is not merely that the Lord Jesus has washed us from our sins in his own blood. What has he made us to be? The sanctifier and the sanctified are all of one, for which cause he is not ashamed to call them brethren, saying, I will declare thy name to my brethren. Now we get the wondrous consummation, as we have borne the image of the earthy, we shall also bear the image of the heavenly. We shall be like him. The desire of love must be for its object to come up to its ideal, and Christ will never be satisfied till he has his saints before him in his own image. So these bodies will be changed, that we may be altogether conformed to his image. Moral conformity there is, and should be, now, for we are of him, and, with unveiled face, beholding as in a glass the glory of the Lord, we are changed into the same image from glory to glory even as by the Lord the Spirit. What a prospect lies before us! We groan in these mortal bodies, and if the body is put off it goes to corruption. But it is redeemed and belongs to Christ, and we shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed, in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, we shall have done with all that is mortal. Mortality shall be swallowed up of life. Death does not lie across the Christian's path, it is behind him. But are we living in the path of life which death cannot cross, though the body may be put off? Funerals are times of sorrow for those who are bereaved, but for those who have gone to be with Christ, they have only left everything connected with death behind forever, to wait in his presence for their glorified bodies, 
for each saint will have his own body. Christ's power will gather their dust, and the departed spirit will be clothed with the body in a glorified state. Bring in reason here and you at once get off the ground of faith. That the Son of God should be born of a virgin is incomprehensible, but we believe and worship and adore and we want more of this spirit in a day like the present, when man's reason is exalted and infidelity is rampant. I pass on now to 1 Thess, 4, which tells us how the saints are taken up to heaven. It is clear that the Thessalonian saints were looking for the kingdom to be set up, and feared that those who had died might not have their part in its glories. The apostle corrects this thought, and exhorts them not to sorrow as those that have no hope, for Jesus passed through death, and if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so them also which sleep in Jesus will God bring with him. That is he looks at God bringing Jesus to take the kingdom, as it says, in Hebrews 1 verse 6, when he brings in the first begotten into the habitable world, and those who had fallen asleep God would bring with Jesus. Their spirits were with Christ, but what about their bodies? The apostle then gives us the order of events. The Lord himself shall descend from heaven with an assembling shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first, then we which are alive and remain, shall be caught up together with them in the clouds, to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. Observe there is not a word about the world in the passage, nor about the Lord coming into the world. It is the first act in the great drama about to be enacted. The Lord descends into the air, that is the meeting place. The saints in the graves hear his voice and rise, the living hear his voice, and the assembling shout gathers all together to meet him in the air. Thy love we own, Lord Jesus. Thy way is traced before thee. Thou wilt descend, and we ascend. To meet in heavenly glory. Soon shall the blissful morning call forth thy saints to meet thee. Our only Lord, alone adored. With gladness then we'll greet thee. So shall we ever be with the Lord? Now is all this a mere matter of information in our heads, or are our hearts engaged with him? Christ is the firstfruits from among the dead. Now is Christ risen from the dead, and become the firstfruits of them that slept. The harvest is to come, afterwards they that are Christ's at his coming. Oh that Christ may touch a chord in our hearts tonight. He loved us and gave himself for us. He is not going to send for us, he is coming himself. It is his voice we shall hear. If it is heaven on earth to enjoy Christ's company here, what will it be to be there? Gates ajar and such like books teach that heaven is a place where all will be found that gratifies man's flesh down here, but this is a great mistake. The joys of the Father's house are tasted on earth. When the prodigal was received home the joy began, and this joy never ends. I will see you again, said Jesus to his disciples, and your heart shall rejoice, and your joy no man takes from you. Now my object in these addresses, dear friends, is not to give you information merely about coming events, but so to present the blessed future, in which Christ is the central object, that your hearts and mind may be detached from this present passing scene. If there is here one poor soul that cannot look into this bright future, may you turn to Christ this night, and learn what a Savior he is to the guilty sinner that flees to him, in confidence in the value of his precious blood.